Hi there, you're listening to the Speak On It podcast, a program facilitated by Youth Advisory Board members of the Steve Fund. The Steve Fund is one of the leading nonprofit organizations in the United States that promotes the emotional and mental health of students of color. The goal of this podcast is to create a space for students and professionals alike to come together to discuss a plethora of topics relating to mental health and the challenges that Black, Indigenous, and people of color may face during their academic and professional careers. Before we begin our conversation, we would like to leave a disclaimer that this podcast cannot and should not substitute a mental health provider. If you or a loved one need help, please reach out to your primary care provider or the Steve Fund Crisis Hotline, which you can access by texting Steve to 741-741. Thank you and enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome to the Speak On It podcast. Uh, my name is Jay and today we are talking about getting the most out of your college years um, with distance learning. Um, together with me here are um, Jason, Danny, and John, and we'll go ahead and do our little introductions. Rosebud and thorn, a rose is something beautiful, a thorn is a pain and a bud is something you're looking forward to. Uh, my name is Jay Wang. Uh, my rose for this week would be that I got to s- get on a call with a really good college friend um, for about like two, three hours after like a couple months of being AWOL with each other due to quarantine and everything. Um, a bud for this week would be that I'm almost about to take like an important like uh, graduate school exam and that's going to be over with and I can enjoy the rest of my summer um, afterwards. <laughs> um, and then a thorn was unfortunately um, a bit of a microaggressive interaction today from a certain lady uh, when I was taking my dad to the dentist. Um, so that was, that was fun kind of talking to her about that. But yes, those are my rosebud thorns. Uh, Danny, would you like to go next? Yep, I'll go next. My name is Danny. I'm also a co-host on this podcast, and I think everyone knows me by this point because it's like episode eight. Okay, so my rose from this week was taking a music production class online. It's hosted by Carnegie Hall, and I've already met like a ton of really nice and talented people through the class. So we started a collaboration project today, so we got our groups, and we're talking about what genre we want our song to be. And then a bud that I have looking towards... um, Okay, so we'll be heading to Hilton Head in a few weeks, and then we'll be seeing Jason and his family. I think we'll be hanging out with you guys for a few days, so I'm super excited about that. And then a thorn was yesterday, we had a podcast pre-chat, and unfortunately, my mom and I were like, we're going to just make a quick run to the store, and we're going to be back before 2 o'clock, and we did not end up making it back at all, so I had to do the pre-chat from like a little corner in the store, and then in the car. (laughs) I just felt like, I was a little bit disappointed, but um, yeah, I definitely want to manage my time more going forward. Hi, everybody. I'm Jason. Um, uh, my rose for the week was um, if the weather's. I'm in Savannah, Georgia, and the weather's been incredible. Every every like every day has been kind of like I wake up and there's like sun streaming in. It's like low low 80s, high 70s. So it's like not too hot. It's not even humid. So like that's been really good. Um, my bud is. Uh, my big cousin Brent is driving down to like Savannah tomorrow from North Carolina to hang out with me for a week. Um, from his, from his, he's been quarantining. And so like, it will be the first person my age I've, I've interacted with, um, since, since leaving college. And, um, then my thorn would definitely be, um, just sort of like the gradual sort of like, disinterest increasing in sort of the um like the black lives matter but mostly like the the like the feminist aspect of that movement i feel like it hasn't gotten enough attention and and so i've been having a lot of tough conversations like with my guy friends about why why it needs to be um dealt with uh like in 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 based in in the the reality of the issue being that like black men are like suppressing their own movement um just having sort of hard conversations about that. Hey y'all, my name is John Mirador and I'm a third year at BCU. I would say one big rose is being able to see my little cousin graduate and having like 
the time to spend with family because like times like these don't really come that often so that's why i'm like really leaning into them and really excited about it um uh, also like i think another rose would kind of be like i finished a summer class this week and the bud is actually starting another like design class next week so i'm really excited about that one um and i would say a really big thorn would probably be um i kind of found some news about like my mom and like her medical condition just this week so i'm gonna have to tackle that one again but with anything like we gotta just i just gotta keep an open mind about it so yeah that's that to start off our conversation today, um, the first question would be, how did you make sure, for those of us who either graduated or currently in school, um, how did you make sure that you had strong relationships with professors and other faculty? One of the most important things in college is definitely having strong relationships with professors. Um, and so, like, I'm really happy you asked that. For me, I think that sort of the ways that I've found to be most effective over my time in college are trying to really just have organic relationships with faculty members, meeting them and like interacting with them outside of the classroom, not when you don't need anything. Um, it's like when, just creating relationships based off of like shared interest I found is like and like through clubs that they advise and through events that they speak at. There's just a lot, like a, a really, a really good way, I think a really effective way of, of showing real interest in them and maybe getting the same kind of interest back. Yeah, I kind of want to piggyback on what Jason was saying. Like for me, I think the deepest relationships and like ongoing relationships that I've had with my professors and faculty members are those that were organic and those didn't really start off on like surface level things where like I went over there to ask for help on an assignment, which if you do that, that isn't a bad thing. Like if you need help, please go ask for help. Um, but in terms of like actually forming deep relationships, um, like Jason was saying, um, like coming up with like different interests, like really knowing them on a personal level, if the professor or faculty members open, open to do that. Because there are some that are like very like, this is my wall, do not come over here. Let's keep this professional. Um, but yeah, John, do you have anything else to add to that? Oh yeah, I was like literally just thinking of one of, one of my mentors who kind of leaned on me and had like that genuine connection because she was asking me of a favor and she was like, hey, can you like do this video for us to show for the next cohort of like summer scholars and I was like yeah of course but the reason why I was like leaning into that genuine connection is because like as time goes on if you do have a genuine connection with at least one faculty they will definitely be kind of like looking to you for certain things and then you could potentially ask them for favors back and even like ask around on how they can help you build your network by being like, hey, is there anyone that I that, or at least your mentor would know in another kind of like field? So asking them if they know anyone in like the financial aid department to see like if they could have a better connection that way instead of being a stranger, I would say, in the very beginning, like that usually always helps. Um, I would also kind of say like, be careful for like the first day impressions with teachers because usually everyone's trying to go for it. So like kind of waiting a little bit and then really asking the questions about like what they've done in the past, like to really like as was said in the past, like to build that genuine connection. And I start college in the fall, so I can't speak from college experience, but I do want to add on, um, although I haven't had really like ongoing relationships with my high school teachers, I had a lot of great teachers in elementary school that I can like still reach out to to this day who will like respond and I've, we sent them like cards and stuff. So I definitely, I think they made more of a lasting impact on me, but as far as my high school teachers went, I think we all had really solid relationships or at least just like a high regard for each other just because I guess they appreciated like all my participation in class, which I think helped. Um, I think it's also pretty nice to reach back out to like older teachers, or not even like older teachers, like age-wise, but like older teachers who have seen you literally grow up and be able to connect with them like later on. Cause they have 
either been with you and if you had a really good like solid relationship with them they would also like kind of invest in your growth like later on in the future too so like i really enjoy that that piece so thank you for that yeah and that's true and then i had a lot of great teachers that you can reach back out to for like recommendations and like they can write on your behalf for a scholarship or something like that and then when you go back and visit the school it's nice to have all these friendly, familiar faces. So there are definitely a lot of people like that too from my high school. Oh no, definitely. I think that's like really important to like build those like long lasting connections because um, just from my personal experience, like for me and also like some people in my like circle right now where we're applying to like graduate school, um, <laughs> it's, it, it's been a journey looking for like professors to write like really strong letters of recommendation for you sometimes if you mm. haven't been able to foster those relationships. Um, and I think like we've all kind of like touched upon it, but like they like having a professor or, like faculty member in your corner really opens up opportunities. So like if you're able to be like a teaching assistant or like a research assistant for someone like those open up more potentials for your network and growth. Um, but with that said, it kind of leads into our next question on how did you take initiative in college? Like, how did you take charge of your own education, but also your own experiences on campus? I think that in terms of taking initiative in college and sort of taking charge of my own education, my general philosophy has been like, a lot of people want to do a lot of different things, but a uh, few people really want to start things. And I find that like generally when you start something, like I say, if you build the house, they'll come, people will come. Um, I think that if you, if you start something and you do it really intentionally and you, you're very thought up, thought out, like when, and you're very methodical in how you do it and you consider what people might, like how people might engage with it and make it easy to engage with, um, then typically individuals will support you and at least show interest in, 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 in getting sort of the baseline or like initial engagement is, is um, an interest from people of all levels, either like faculty who want to support you or students who want to be a part of it is actually like pretty straightforward after, after you said it done, I get it, get it done. And then like one of the benefits of that, I think is that like people like credit you with like being a, like a self-starter and a leader in these initiatives and um if you ever want to do another venture ever want to take up another project like people will support you that much more when you want to uh i kind of wanted to echo that with one sentiment that a teacher told me um it was kind of like if you have a good heart and if you have a really good work ethic then you'll eventually get to wherever you want because people will see that and people will recognize it um I would also say, like, if you do put in, like, a lot of the hard work and, like, all of the, I would say, like, processes are already done for someone else to kind of, like, opt in on, then it also helps with that startup and kind of, like, propelling yourself, like, later on with your career, even. Um, I think, like, for me, how I kind of, like, took charge of my own education was um, I approached it in twofold like one in terms of like the actual like academic education but then like to the actual the experience that I can gain from being in college and volunteering and interning and etc and also the vast majority of clubs on campus um and I kind of like took that as an initiative to build a foundation and be a little more quote-unquote like well-rounded to ensure that like my career paths and uh general education is more more sufficient for whatever like goals and areas that I wanted to, to achieve um, and so yeah I ended up like reaching out to like various like nonprofits, um, volunteering and like various like clubs on campus and then like if something didn't work for me like one semester I ended up like leaving that club and joining another club the next semester and I kind of took a like a buffet style approach <laughs> on organizations just to be able to I see like yeah. um, what clicked and what didn't. And then for the ones that did click, I like stayed in those organizations a lot longer um, to build like more connections and network. But, yeah. Can I also echo that, please? Because <laughs> like, yes. um, that's kind of exactly what happened or like how I kind of established some of that experience is by like asking what I could do for like 
some potential like faculty and staff around me. So I did like this leadership camp in freshman year. And then the people who were running it, I was like, so how can I help like later on? And then it kind of turned into a job opening position the next year and being able to like work with like the connection that we were talking about earlier about like establishing the relationships with other faculty. Like it kind of just manifested into more and more that I could do for the career. So I feel that I really like the buffet, like how you call it the buffet style too. Like that, that kind of makes me happy. <laughs> I think college is a time to try new things and it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you think could go straight to your resume and increase your chances of getting a certain job. Like it's just a time to explore what you really enjoy and what you're interested in. And I think opportunities will come from there. What are some tips for like students that may be going through like tricky assignments or having difficulty juggling like various projects and um, like extracurriculars and other like responsibilities and like how to like succeed from those? I think one of the things that we said before was don't be afraid to ask for help or to reach out or to go to office hours or to join a study group because all those resources are there and they're waiting to like welcome you. <laughs> I think that's a good way to think about it because um, then you'll be more open to those opportunities and the idea of having to do everything by yourself. I think a lot of people get really good at that in high school and that's what they think attributes to their success but I think it's actually being really smart and then also knowing how to use all your different resources. And the whole point is it's just like a melting pot of different people and different ideas and like you grow so much more from engaging in that. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, I, I don't have much to add on that. I would just say that like a lot of times like things that are uncomfortable like or seem seem sort of like hard to to deal with um typically present the greatest opportunities for growth and sort of to lean into those one thing that kind of like struck me with that question was just being able to have like a good or establishing like a value system even before you go into college and really knowing what you want to do because those passions will more or less like drive you forward and really help you with kind of like prioritizing your values and prioritizing what you want when juggling everything, like that also helps a ton. So I have a question, like what kind of values? I kind of think of values as like what would, what has kind of like sustained you in the past and what do you think can sustain you like later on in the future? So one of my key values I would say would be like helping the community and being able to like spread that level of empathy and like basically empathy-based leadership and everything that I was doing. Like that was one of my core values. So moving from mechanical engineering over to user experience and user interface kind of helped me understand like this is going to be what I would want to do even after graduating college. Right? I would still want to be helping the community and doing things that way. So that's, that's kind of how I would see like the value. It's like what, what are your passions and how have your actions reflected on to what would essentially become your value. So I don't know if that answers your question, but hopefully it <laughs> No, it definitely does. And I kind of want to piggyback on what you said, John, and also what Danny has mentioned. So um, Danny, you mentioned about, d both Danny and Jason mentioned about like being able to like reach out and ask for help. And I think um, Danny highlighted the aspect of like in high school, you're usually more solo on your assignments and, um, in a way, not to generalize, but for me personally, I think like because of that, I developed kind of like an ego um, when I went into like college where I was like, I don't need to ask for help. Like I know how to do X, Y, and Z and blah, 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 blah. Um, but then when I started getting assignments and getting this flood of like um, tasks to do, I was like, oh, like I don't know how to do this at all. Um, and so I waited a tad too long um, before asking for help. And I think that's like a thing to highlight because um, sometimes, like, professors are willing to work with you um, to help out with situations if, like, it's too much. Um, but then also to piggyback on what Johnson in terms of, like, finding your passions. And I don't know how people would feel about this. And I just recently discovered that this is apparently, like, a tactic for some students that go into graduate school 
where they don't necessarily take all their classes for grades. Um, they purposely like pass fail certain classes just because if they just want to take it um, to get the credit for whatever general studies that they need or they're taking it just because of their gen general interest, um, they like decide to pass fail those classes and then only focus really hard to get like maintain the grade for like other courses that are more relevant to their careers, if that makes sense. Um, and I thought that was really curious and I thought that would definitely have been helpful like when I was an undergrad if I knew that was like a strategy um, that some people like used. Um, that way like for example if it's like a liberal arts like class or somewhat with like a huge like writing assignment or project, not that you like don't put 100% of your effort into it, but like <laughs> maybe you can put a little more energy into like the assignments that like you need like an A in that class for school, like for like graduate school or something. To piggyback off what I, I was saying earlier, like like when I was saying that, like I meant sort of like the, the hardest, the hardest like loads are typically the ones that present growth. I think that like what you guys are saying that I, I in trying to be supportive, I sort of over overlooked like the importance of working smart, um, like you like you were saying, uh, Jay, and um, and I think that if you have like a workload that is like kind of kind of hefty, and you have a diverse array of assignments, and you have a diverse array of passions and interests, like it really is important to figure out and prioritize what you want to do because, as you were saying, Jay, like it's sometimes you have a lot and some things are more important than others and like maybe it is just taking a class for like pass fail instead of a grade if it's not in, like integral to your interests and stuff like that. I want to add something another thing from the psychology course that I took online the science of well-being having a growth mindset and just like so that's I guess growth mindset versus like fixed mindset so a fixed mindset is when you think I guess you believe that certain people are just smart and they can do it and other people are just not smart and they can't do it. And then a growth mindset is think is seeing challenge as a positive thing. And um, if you can't get it right away, like you don't get discouraged. Like you just know that if you keep trying or you work smart or you try different things or you just keep coming back to it and working on it, then you will improve. And so a growth mindset is just kind of foreseeing that possibility. And I think they actually did some studies where students with growth mindsets actually did better in school. Um, even, yeah, and the unfortunate thing is that a lot of the stuff that happens in the education system actually kind of serves to foster a fixed mindset because, like, you take the unit test and you're on to the next unit, and, like, whatever your grades were, like, that's kind of final, and even though, like, learning is a lifelong process and journey, and um, I think if you approach it that way, you'll be more open to these challenges, like, these heavy workloads that can feel so challenging and overwhelming in the moment. But someone with a growth mindset will kind of see that as, as a positive thing. Even with the growth mindset, I think it's also really helpful, like, especially when prioritizing, um, there's like, there's a level of support with the different things that you're also prioritizing as well. And just being able to lean on others who are within that circle kind of like helps you out. Um, because like, if, for example, I would think that I would fail on a test and then people would hate me for it. It kind of is that fixed mindset and won't really give you that own like personal support that you would give yourself as well as like the external. But I think it would all kind of fall there. Not all, but a lot of it could also fall on like the people that you might surround yourself with at the time. I think that also ties into like, um, like social connections and building like a social network. Um, Dini and I just, got off a call yesterday to do like another episode um, which is blood versus chosen family um, and one of the highlights from that was the discussion of like social groups and how that um, those are able to like nurture who you are and be able to nurture your passions and ambitions um, which I think like ties into like what you were just mentioning John um, so yeah thank you for bringing that up um, but I guess, like, to move on to the next question, it's, like, um, how did you cope or deal with the overwhelming amount of choices in college? Um, what are your best strategies for decision-making? I think everyone brought up a lot of good points about this already. I was taking notes, like, I guess ways that people went about sifting through 
all the different options and courses and majors to choose from in college. Like, um, I remember John said, coming back to your values, like the things that sustained you and the things that will probably continue to sustain you, like those things that you always end up coming back to. I think you have a really, like things that you have a strong affinity for. Um, so that would be like one thing. And then best strategies. Yeah, prioritizing, working smart, like Jason said, um, just like realizing you don't have to do everything, but you should definitely work really hard on the important things and you will not be, I guess, like drawn in like a few different directions. Like you're kind of heading in, in one direction. So that, those are some things that I picked up so far. Yeah, and I think this kind of makes me think of when we were doing our pre-chat with this, um, Jason brought up, I don't know if this is what if you officially call it, but I kind of made the analogy of it where it's like the spider web concept, right? Mm -hmm. um, would you mind kind of like going into that, please? So essentially, um, I think that sort of the main, the main thing that is really important is sort of creating sort of buckets and bundles of, of priorities and things that are of primary interest to you. Um, and then so like if I was going to college, like I remember when I was going to college, like I was really interested in a few key things. Like one was business, um, the other was law, and the other one was um, sociology and and the last one was um sort of understanding sort of my role as like a black man and like my experience more and so like when you have sort of those broad bucket interests and like those central interests you're able to sort of explore them in more depth for example with like my interest of the black male experience i was able to expand that to the black experience as a whole and also like the black experience like depending on like your class and so you're sort of able to sort of explore things as they become more interesting to you I found out that I wasn't really interested in law because I don't like to read a lot um, and I found out that I was really interested in business and I was able to explore through various different business clubs um, what areas of business were the most interesting to me and sort of get uh, whittled down find sort of like that I really like technology and even within that explore other areas of technology. So having sort of those broad buckets instead of just being like, Oh, like there's a lot of things that I like, um, is something that really helps you sort of at least get a little bit of baseline direction. Thank you for that, Jason. And so like, I really wanted to, uh, you to mention that during this conversation, because like, I think it kind of like ties into, I guess like my analogy with like the buffet thing with like if you have like key buckets priorities or values that you come into college or you're kind of like these are the things that I like want to for sure um, kind of like fulfill or just experience um, you can kind of like branch off from those and look at very like intersections that exist um, and I think that when I went into college um, for example like sociology was definitely not something I was interested in because I wasn't really exposed to it like in high school and in my personal life um, but then through my experiences with like public health 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 education and just like health professions it kind of like came together where I was like oh my gosh social theology is like very important and it's a core underlying thing that like encompasses everything and so like because of that like it kind of drove my passions to learn more um, about like racial disparities, like systematic um, oppression, um, environmental issues, and environmental justice, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I find that like it's one of the like leading things that I'm like very passionate about nowadays. I like the fact that you actually talked or started talking about the element of like intersectionality because like that was the only thing that was like in my head when you were talking about the spiderweb, Jason. Um, because mm -hmm. like, it's kind of similar for me with the way that you did it, Jason, where it was like, your experience as a black man had actually like helped shape who you are, like moving forward. And kind of the same thing happened with me with the way that I was looking at the first gen, like low income perspective, because understanding the way that that worked within like my own experience had also like opened the interest for like me kind of wanting to dip into even the higher education space now and just the public education space in the past like it's definitely nice to have like that level of web be pushed by like a central passion so thank you yeah. 
I guess that brings us to our next question. How did you find your passion? So what were your passions going into college and what did they morph into while you were there? Passions are liable to change a great deal in that like while the strategies for pursuing your passions are like important because they, they help you move intentionally throughout college. I think that like beyond having like sort of like a way of pursuing passions, like your initial passions when you go into college typically change a great deal. Like I can't, I can't like count the amount of times that I've like seen like someone go in and say, like, I'm going to be like, like a doctor. And then they come out and they're like, uh, I'm going to be an activist or they go in saying like, I'm going to be an activist. And then they come out and say, I'm going to be like a, like architect, like, you know? So I think that like, it's just like, I would pursue passions really care, like really thoroughly and really, really fearlessly, but I wouldn't bind yourself to what you think you like at the beginning of college. I really love that you mentioned that Jason. Cause like, I think for some of our younger listeners, if we have some um, that are in high school, cause like Kaylin, who's another co-host of ours has mentioned um, that there are like conversations I mean, kind of like sparked and reminded me of my like interest when I went into college. Um, Cause I like had a very like fixed mi- mindset and mentality where I'm like, this is what I want to do. Like, I don't want to do anything else. And if I do, that's distracting me from my passion and my like ambition and whatever, whatever. Um, and I think what you're talking about, it was kind of more like what Danny was discussing with like a growth mindset where you're being cautious about like, yes, like you're a hundred percent going for your careers or your ambitions, but you're also being aware that you may like swerve and curve into like other areas. And like, maybe if you like go into something like a little too far, that's also okay because that may end up being your new passion. And that's not saying like all your efforts pursuing your original one is all going to waste because without pursuing that original intention, you wouldn't have gotten into this like current passion. That makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, it does make sense. Can I also say like another way that has actually shaped the way that I've like looked at my passion has been like a paradigm shift in something. And it kind of like changed the way that I saw my original passions in the first place. Um, so for example, like one, like I think the biggest paradigm shift, which was like that passion that I, that I talked about earlier with being first gen, like that being able to go to a conference and then the paradigm shift happening there to really see like this was like the story and the experience that I had had ultimately driven me into what I wanted to do like afterwards. Um, and just being able to learn and unlearn the different things of one, the paradigm shift and of the passions and like in and of itself has kind of opened me up to just the different possibilities like going forward. So I don't know. That was just something that I was thinking about. That's really cool. I what is a paradigm? So for for me, like the way that I kind of interpreted like the paradigm shift was something that kind of shifted your not your entire worldview and like changed your entire world and like flip you upside down but it's it's kind of what it is <laughs> like it it is basically a pivot of mindset or a direct pivot of what you had thought something else was that kind of I wouldn't say changes you but changes you in either in a positive or negative way. it really depends on like the mindset that you have so aka growth mindset and then I think like we also need a talk potentially like address real quick about the lens with like distance learning right now um, with everything just because there are still conversations and I think Danny you mentioned this too for your school right like the your campus hasn't officially stated whether or not y'all are coming on to campus physically or if y'all are continuing like distance learning in the fall right yeah I think we get the official decision in July 
So there's definitely a lot of uncertainty. I think a lot of schools have this right now, or some schools they have a vague idea of what they'll be doing, but I'm sure some parents and students are a little bit apprehensive because I've heard of some schools, they're like, we're definitely going to be on campus, but we're going to have a lot of testing and it's going to be like social distance learning, which is kind of, I guess, putting a lot of trust in all the different people that will be coming onto campus and making sure everyone's doing the right thing. Um, yeah, so there are a lot of different situations, but in my situation, yeah, we here in July, like, we'll Will we be learning virtually online or will we be going onto campus or will we be doing like, I heard another school is doing like trimesters. So they're going to have like trimesters A, B, and C, for example. And so you can choose like A and B or B and C. And they're just like trying to take down the number of people they have on campus at one time. Yeah. So I wanted to, uh, thank you for adding on to that. I, I just wanted to add in the distance learning aspect um, because I know that for me personally, like if I had to do distance learning, I'm not exactly sure um, if I were, would be, if I would have been able to like join and like do these like various clubs or organizations because I don't know how that's working. Do you, any, do, you ha do you happen to have any idea? I don't, I haven't heard anything about that specifically. Um, yeah, I'm not sure, but I, that, I definitely have thought about that a good deal. Like what if they decided to do sports, like everyone, from home like just took videos of themselves or like time themselves doing things and then they like put it all together one of the things I want to do in college is acapella which I think is very possible to do like digitally because we just can all make videos and use like music software and like put it all together but for other clubs um it might be a little bit harder so I guess yeah we'll see yeah so I guess like my the like question I'm leading into is like for um the students that like may not be able to like go to campus like physically like how like what are some advice um that y'all have for them to be able to connect or take advantage um, of potential resources and opportunities they just have to like pivot a little in terms of like the traditional methods that we discussed i guess well i have kind of an answer because i think it's i think the question was um what advice do you have for people like to kind of I guess get the most out of their college years which is like the title of this episode but just like virtually or like distance learning style like and I guess one thing that I've learned so far is that it's not really all that different like what you have to do is not all that different because you still have to take the initiative and reach out to people individually like you might be in a big seminar with like a bunch of people in one big video chat but you still need to go out of your way to like get to know your classmates get to know your professor um, and just kind of do more outside of class um, in ways that you think you might not have to because you're just stuck at home anyway. Like, it's good to still try to be proactive about things. I think, yeah. like, with this distance learning thing, it's definitely harder to socialize with other students because, like, the, the way for direct contact in classroom would literally be Zoom and then ask you, like, so what's your email or, like, what's your number? And then it's harder to really get that connection. Whereas with the teacher, I think it's easier now with distance learning to actually get to understand who the teacher is because, like, if you schedule a meeting and if you want to talk to them or if you're like, hey, can we, can you stay online after, like, class is over? Like, it really opens up a better connection for you to foster with the teacher. But uh, for students, it's it might be a little bit harder, at least for my for my experience this summer. Um, but I don't know. Maybe things could change. <laughs> I'm wondering if students are able to like kind of like take an initiative, like what Jason was mentioning towards the beginning of our chat, and like either like building a house or building an organization to create an easier like interconnection like virtually or if they can just like go ahead and reach out to like whoever's name is listed on the like school's website like oh like Danny Bell's the president of like the running club and just like emailing Danny and be like hey like um I noticed that like you're the president I was wondering like if you are coming up with like some kind of like virtual session so that like, students are able to connect with each other during the fall semester and then if we're able to come back during the spring um, like just being able to already have those like communications and relationships together. Um, but I don't know if that would be appealing or easy. I don't know. That's. <laughs> I don't think any of it's easy at first. Like it's just so, and I, one thing I've heard a lot is like social media is such like a surface level, I guess, 
kind of communication so just like going beyond that it's just so important like it's nothing's really going to be able to replace being in person with people but since this is something we have to do now for our own safety I think we just have to make the most out of it and yeah I don't know I don't really have any like perfect answers for this one at all because it's just so different and I'm not sure how long it would even last if we did start off virtually so hopefully not that long but mm -hmm. All right, so with that said, our final question um, before we have to start wrapping up is, um, how did you experience imposter syndrome if you did? What did it feel like and how did you react to it? Yeah, I mean, for me, like at Harvard is just like, one of the things that like, I, I think all of us dealt with was that there's always someone better than you at something and so like a lot of times like it, it feels like everyone's better than you at everything um and so like or like and then if you feel like everyone's better than you at everything sometimes you might question why you you even belong there at all and i think that um the main thing that really helped me get over that was just thinking about like what like asking myself the question like what does it mean that this person is better than me at like playing the piano or better than me at math? Like it doesn't really affect me very much. Like I think the preponderance of colleges don't do grade deflation, meaning like I'm pretty sure most of them aren't like only 10 people can get an A in this class. So I think that like instead of sort of competing viciously, I think one of the more like productive things to do is think about and be comfortable with sort of your own like weaknesses and, and, and actually lean on others to grow and, and, and to benchmark your success based on like how much you improved from where you were before, not where you fit in the middle of the pack. Because like there are like billions of people and everyone's always like someone's always going to be better than you at something. And so like really like the only sort of satisfaction and the only sort of self, your self-esteem should be rooted in like, what your own goals are and how you achieve your, your own goals. I think this, this question has a lot to do with mental health because imposter syndrome can feel very stressful and can induce all kinds of symptoms, I guess. So this one's a really important one. I guess in the pursuit of excellence along the way, you can definitely run into stressful points. But at the end of the day, it's just, I think bringing it back to like the whole reason, like your priorities, your values, like the whole reason why you're there is to just become an even better version of yourself. And um, comparison and competition can actually be pretty productive. Like we mentioned this before, surrounding yourself with positive people and true friends, because they're gonna wanna see you succeed. And sometimes having fake friends around can like drain you without you even knowing it. So, and if you just go in and just think everyone's your friend, then you're just like, I don't know, that's just not gonna be true. <laughs> and you're gonna be expecting people to be supporting you, but in reality, some people wanna see you fail. So just like being aware of who you're around and, and what their intentions are and what your intentions are. Because you, you just have to move through college intentionally. I think that's something Jason said earlier. I really feel that because like, similar to how, like to what Jason said, like there will always be someone better than you. Like I, find myself kind of um, guilty of putting people on pedestals, but I'm not actually worshiping them. And I think that there's a big distinction between the two because like being able to see the good in other people. And I'm also kind of guilty of that too, of like seeing the good in too many people and not kind of acknowledging when other people are like bad for me around me. But it kind of helps me along the way with that level of competition because it's like, I see the good in people and I do want to see good for them and like see them be better. But also at the same time, that is also an inwards thing of wanting to see myself be better without having that level of comparison. Um, but kind of similar to what I said last time, it is ultimately about understanding and being aware of yourself where with the analogy of like the crystal, like there will always be other people and like the, the light that you have because, like, if you imagine everyone as a crystal, like, the light that actually goes through is very unique to who you are. And if you're too busy looking at someone else's crystal and the light that they shine, then a lot of it just becomes distracting. And everyone's always going to be different. Everyone, like, no one is ever going to really do the same thing or ever really be the same person. I mean, 
and I love the whole crystal idea because it's not necessarily so the crystal is made out of whatever matter the crystal is made out of but then the light shining through it and the patterns that it makes it's kind of like some sort of like divine intervention is like helping because the crystal didn't produce the light it didn't make the light yeah. it's just kind of shining the light that's shining on it and it's, I like that a, divine intervention, yeah. it's kind of like a cool thing to watch and it can definitely be distracting um but that's like not not all that there is to the crystal and it's also like everyone has some version of that but some might be shinier than others in certain ways and or under certain lights or when like i guess depending on like when the sun is overhead so like if the sun's over here like at this time of day some crystals might be like shining and then by the time the sun's over here other crystals might be shining <laughs> so like sometimes it's just not like comparing yourself to others you might be at different parts of your journeys. So sometimes it's not always a fair comparison that we're making. Um, I guess there are so many different ways you can like explore this metaphor, but I like this metaphor a lot because yeah. it's kind of like a shiny thing. It can be distracting, but it's not really like the essence of the crystal itself either. Um, so like you can see, watch people from afar and be like, they, it looks like they have everything together and they're just like shining, but you don't really know what's going on like in their lives, in their personal lives either. So. So, so I guess kind of to extend on this metaphor with the crystal, um, what about those students who may be part of like an extremely like underrepresented population on campus um, and they're like marginalized and they may potentially be like gaslit by their peers and, you know, constantly like felt like they're not, they don't belong there or they got there due to like, extenuating circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I guess like how, like what are some advices or things that we can kind of help in terms of like reframing that mentality to help with imposter syndrome? I think I'm like, I'm alluding to certain conversations that I've heard like through third parties where like some people are like, oh, like you only got in due to, for example, like affirmative action or you only got in because you're an athlete and et cetera, et cetera. Like you're not really that smart or you don't really belong here and other things. So I guess like for those situations, like how, how would we help those students or kind of like give advice for that? Uh, sometimes just looking at history <laughs> because a lot of these colleges are historically white all-male colleges so if you think about it when they this is something that I think about sometimes like the fact that they didn't have women or people of color means that they obviously were not taking in all the talent that they could have from the very start and those people didn't get the chances that they deserved so nowadays now that these colleges are becoming more inclusive whether that's due to external pressure or their own value shifting I think it's it's a great time to be alive. Like there are a lot of things that are really troublesome and things that need to be fixed and things that are extremely flawed, but then there are also things that we need to just take advantage of right now. Um, so I think everyone who's got in, I think they should just feel like they got in and like the board decided the administration board or um, they decided they wanted them in the college that year. So I think they should just embrace that opportunity. And if they didn't get in, then don't take it too personally because it's not really, that much of a personal process it's also they're kind of building the class so if they have a few people who have like this type of application maybe they don't want like five of them like that so they reject someone else and then they get some different people because they're always looking for diversity and to build the personality of the class also this is something my college counselor told me about so there are a lot of different factors that go into it so whether you get in or don't get in I don't think it should really define who you are as a person yeah, I, I think so too. I think uh, I think it can be, I think it can be pretty impersonal, like especially the admissions process. And like, I think that there are so many people who are so qualified that essentially, um, like, it just is just like obviously you get in because you're qualified, but there is in all these processes just like a little bit of luck too. So I think just sort of having an attitude where like you just want to make the most of the opportunity you've been given and not really like go too much into the weeds of like, why was I like, why was that? Why am I here? Um, I think just being grateful is really helpful. And like a little personal anecdote I'll share on this point is like uh, at, at Harvard, they have um, like you're allowed to go to the admissions office and request to review your admissions file. And 
I personally um, have a lot of friends who went and did that. And I think none of them were happy when they did that because like it was just a bunch of scribbles and like point marks on their, on their applications and like and underscores and circles. Like it's, it's, it's something that nobody really has a perfect eye into, but you just sort of have to trust that you're there for a reason. I kind of want to echo that because a lot of like looking at that would kind of be judging your basement off or like judging your own self-perception on like someone else's judgment. And ultimately it should kind of just be how you feel and like how comfortable you are with being in your own spot. Like, and with the way that I kind of like tackle imposter syndrome is usually of like reaffirming myself and finding ways to understand that like, yes, I do belong here. And even though, like, I might be, like, like not the one who should be, like, represented. Or, like, if I ever feel like that, I remember, like, you can always spearhead something for other people who are just like you to be able to take on that mantle later on in the future. Like, not only just realizing what you could do now, but realizing, like, the next generation moving forward as well. Like, that usually helps me with my level of imposter syndrome and I would like to see if like anyone else feels that as well just curious because things aren't always going to be comfortable at first um when things are uncomfortable it's often an opportunity for growth but also you need to pay attention to your own well-being because sometimes things that you think might be all in your head aren't necessarily all in your head like it could have been like the sum of a bunch of microaggressions that you've had over the past week from other people and classmates and maybe even teachers. And I've heard about this at various DFUN conferences where students share their experiences. Um, so I think it's just important to pay attention to your own well-being and like speak up and like create change because like John said, the future generations might have, they might feel like they belong even more because like people of color spoke up now and changed the way that things were now. Um, so it's like, yeah, I think we've made a lot of progress over the past few years, and I think there's a lot more progress to be made, but I think it's foundations like the Steve Fund that can really make a difference. And a lot of students on these campuses who are really passionate about this and just like making themselves seen because sometimes um, there's this podcast called Undoing of Our Erasure. So like black people specifically have felt, I think like they've just been not seen in different parts of culture or they've just been erased or their culture has been put up on a pedestal, but then as people have been like kind of diminished. So I think it's important to um, realize that that has happened and then also to like fight against that. Um, yeah, because like future generations will benefit from that, from fighting against that. And that's all folks. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To continue the conversation, check out the Steve Fund website for blog posts and summaries of our podcast. While you're there, feel free to also explore different programs, initiatives, and events that the Steve Fund has coming up. If you would like to leave any future topics or themes for us to discuss, or even a comment, feel free to email us at yv@stevefund.org. Thanks, and until you tune in again, be safe and be well.